The wind howled as the woman peered across the dark, unlit train bridge. Through the rain, she was unable to see all the way across. But taking this bridge would shorten her journey by 30 minutes. Bings crossed the bridge, never to be seen again. Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota Lawson. This is a podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. Okay, Coda, what do you think today's topic is about? Well, at first I thought ghost train. <laughs> but then I pivoted uh, to what it probably actually is. is just, she just needs to go through this uh, train bridge, which is less exciting than a ghost train. Um, does she get hit by a train? Maybe. <laughs> Stay it, tuned to find out. Is this like uh, that movie or book? I don't remember. I know it's a movie, but I don't know if it was based on a book. Uh, the Girl on the Train? Is this called? <laughs> is this actually the girl get hit by the, that exact train? Yeah, that's you what know? it is. You got it. Um, and then I was thinking about um, the girl with the dragon tattoo and its sequels, but I <laughs> couldn't remember any of them. I was like, isn't one of them about a train? But I don't <laughs> think so. So we're going to call who, this... What? The girl who kicked the hornet's nest, I'm pretty sure is one of them. Okay. Well, uh, let's call this one the girl with the train tattoo. I <laughs> <laughs> have a she's, cool tattoo. She's just really into trains. She just really likes them. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, so the story I have for you today is an unsolved murder from the 1800s when the colonial settlement of BC was really picking up steam. I had never heard of this case until last summer when I stumbled across a random Canadian true crime podcast called True North True Crime talking about Canada's Jack the Ripper. What? So today's topic, we're going to be looking up Canada's Jack the Ripper. What? So this is Wicked Wednesday. Wicked Wednesday, yeah. So actually, if you look up, if you Google Canada's Jack the Ripper, actually, there's two stories that come up. Um, so we're looking at one, and then actually next week I'm going to look at the other because I was cool. fascinated by. Oh, the other awesome! One. That, yep. That's fun. So uh, we're just another two white girls we're... discussing true crime. That's, that's true. What yeah. we are. Yeah. So for this episode, I'll be talking about the unsolved murder of Agnes Biggs. Agnes. That was I've told have I told the story on the podcast? That's my one of my nicknames. No, you haven't. Agnes? No. Yeah, my cousins used to call me Agnes. It's hot. I I didn't like it. <laughs> it's not hot. Yeah. <laughs> What's your old nugget? Yeah, I learned some valuable skills this weekend. <laughs> so You really did, yes. I did. So uh, uh we created uh me and my uh, my father-in-law created a window well so that uh, to avoid water going into our basement. Mm-hmm. And I got to use a jackhammer so on cool. the concrete. It was cool. I was, um, I, I want to use the word sexy. I thought you looked sexy. I'm sure Bill thought you looked sexy too. Yeah, I, I thought he was looking at me in interesting ways <laughs> that a father-in-law should not look at his son-in-law. But... Oh. who's to say who's to say so yeah it was uh, it was a lot of work but you know yes, a bit bill guys... bill was right he had a you know you got that sense of accomplishment like oh shit and it looks like professionals oh you it. guys did a phenomenal job it yeah. looks so good yeah yeah that was awesome yeah and he lo- yeah he taught me a 
bunch of stuff we put on baseboards and stuff like that. He taught me about that. And yeah, it was it was a good real father and son in law bonding moment. Yes, I um, <laughs> and then I caught he he tripped and I caught him, <laughs> and I said, uh, Bill. I uh, I saved you, and he said, "No, I would have, I would have been fine." I said, "No, I saved your life." Yes, and uh, you now know, you you will forever lord that over him that you saved his life. It's true. I uh, he's in my debt forever, forever. Also, because you like took his daughter off his hands. It's true. <laughs> What's your uh, golden nugget? My golden nugget is the same. Yes, I didn't. That I looked sexy with a... Yes, that yeah. you looked sexy with a jackhammer. Yeah. Uh, no, that uh, we got all that work done around the house. Mm-hmm. I didn't do as much work, but me, mostly because my back is acting up again. But Yeah, well, after- my pussy and my crack is bothering me Stop too. It. But, you know, Stop you don't it. hear me complaining. Stop it. Um, I got to work with the caulking gun and I learned how to caulk things. And I'm very excited about that because it's well, Okay, really- we're switching roles here. You got a... <laughs> And I got a. That's right. This that's... is a PG show, so I I uh, <laughs> I blur I blur, blurred out the word pussy and cu- oh oh no I messed it You're up. Such a oh, we're gonna get taken off the air. Truly, truly. So, yeah, and then we list uh, the house next month. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like like in like two and a half weeks. <laughs> I know, like yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So researching this episode was a lot of fun. 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 All right, so researching this episode was a lot of fun. I found the detective notes online, which are a primary source, so I felt like a real-life historian while I was writing this. Ooh. Our story takes place at the end of the 19th century in Victoria, BC, so 1800s, which was a very different community from the retiree haven we know it as today. It was a city of whaling ships, heavy industry, and a place where the local Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations continued to travel primarily by cedar canoe and lived among elders who could still remember the days before the arrival of the European settlers. At this time, Victoria was bigger than Vancouver in both size and economic power and was a city of both the high-end tea rooms and hilltop mansions and the gritty character of a dirt-roaded port city. The city was still enjoying the afterglow of the immense economic boom brought on by the Klondike Gold Rush. Brought on by the Klondike Bar. What Wh- would you do for it? Yes, which we actually covered in season one. So there's a shameless plug. Oh, that episode sucked. You sucked. <laughs> Don't listen to that one. <laughs> you smell bad. <laughs> when the city was a prime supplier for the thousands of people rushing north to the Yukon to strike gold. And at the time of this murder, Victoria was again being used as a jumping off point for yet another faraway happening, the Boer War. What's this? <laughs> the Boer War? Yes. I didn't know the Boers were at war. <laughs> what this tells us is that there was a great many outsiders in the city when the murder occurred. Thus, the capital of BC was no stranger. Do you like how I said thus? <laughs> thus, the capital. Yeah, it was fine, I guess. <laughs> I liked it. Thus, the capital of BC was no stranger to murder and death. Only 10 years prior to this murder that I'm about to talk about, one could still watch public hangings. <laughs> oh, if only we could bring that back, am <laughs> I right? The year before the Bing's murder in 1898, a sex worker named Belle Adams had severed the head of her lover after he threatened to leave her for another woman. And actually, only two days after Bing's murder, there was another death when the owner of Garrick's Head Pub, Michael Powers, was fatally bludgeoned in an act of suspected romantic retribution. Ooh. 
What does that mean? Romantic retribution. Do you get into that or no? No, he. I'm not talking about his story. Romantic retribution. Yeah, so, so I think he was cheating on somebody. I didn't oh, read about Oh, and then story. she got him back. She I chopped the, off his penis and no, fed the, it to dogs, just like in Hostel Part 2. What? That happens in one of the Hostel movies. It's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> How do you segue out of this? Yeah. You just do. <laughs> you just go for it. Continue. Ignore me. <laughs> Okay, but Bing's death was different from all of Victoria's other mayhem. Press accounts at the time called Bing's murder a, quote, crime of such fiendishness and mysteriousness that has seldom been equaled in this part of the world. Yeah, we're all too polite to do it. On the night in question, September 29th, 1899, the owner of Store Street Bakery, 44-year-old baker Agnes Bing's, was bracing herself against an autumn storm, getting ready to make the journey across town back to her home. The bakery was only a few blocks away from a vibrant red light district that was quietly tolerated by authorities and Chinatown, also nearby, which was an... I don't like it, but I'll quietly tolerate it. (laughs) Which was an anarchic assemblage of shops, gambling dens, opium factories, and densely packed wooden shacks. On this night, weighed down with a number of packages, she asked her brother Jordan to accompany her home, but he had refused, apparently because he was buried in a book at the time. As such, Bing's wished to get home to her husband and young son and chose the fastest route home across the E&N Railway Bridge, which was located roughly in the middle of today's downtown court. As Mrs. Bing's was preparing herself to leave from her bakery, another woman was already making the walk towards the west side of the city. Mrs. Bales was heading towards the railway bridge that night when something struck her as odd. Walking up to the entrance of the bridge, she glimpsed a cloaked figure lurking in the stand of railway buildings. I hate it when the Dementors come to Canada. <laughs> An overcoated figure, quick in his movements, who seemed to be taking pains to hide his appearance. So that's a quote that she described him as. A scarf concealed his face, and he even wore rubber boots that hid the sound of his footsteps on the wooden surface of the rail bridge. I'm just picturing like he's really taking great lengths to cover his identity, where he's got all this stuff covering his face. Yeah. So his uh, his scarf and everything like that, but over the top of the scarf, he's got a fake mustache and then a (laughs) monocle over his like... That makes sense. (laughs) ...toque or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Bales was very uncomfortable, and her apprehension soon turned to full-on panic as she noticed that the figure was following her. She ducked into a group of men going the other direction and doubled back towards the downtown, avoiding the overcoated figure who had her in his sights. After waiting until the figure had seemingly moved on, Bales once again made for the bridge. And this time, she came upon Bings, who had now left her bakery shop and was also making the trek west towards home. The women crossed the bridge at the same time, and they wordlessly reached the western shore, where they went their separate ways. Not before, however, Bale suddenly saw the same overcoated figure step off the bridge and set off in Bings's direction through the gale force winds. Oh, and just before her death, she had to go through an awkward train bridge walk with this woman, <laughs> just like both of them like, oh, what do I say? I don't know her that well. This is awkward. In about four or five minutes, Bales heard two screams. Not wanting to be a part of whatever was happening, she hurried home in the dark and stormy night. The next day, Agnes Bings's <laughs> You're on your own, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Agnes Bings's mangled body was found just past the bridge, crumpled against a telegraph pole. The woman had been throttled to death, stripped of her clothing, and disemboweled in the horrible manner of Jack the Ripper. Ooh. Read a BC newspaper account at the D- time. Disemboweled. That, like like stabbed and her organs spilled out yes so disemboweled means that like your intestines your lower intestines are pulled out of your body oh 
disemboweled because your bowel having a bowel movement making ooh idea for a serial killer one that makes a person shit themselves before they die instead of after they mm. die nailed it got it that what, nailed what the idea for a serial killer somebody who listened to this podcast has been inspired by you yes yeah, that's good the cause of Bings's death is believed to have been strangulation, and her body showed signs that she had fought hard against her attacker in her final moments. She was found completely naked, her clothes having been carried a short distance away from the scene of the murder and thrown in a bush. Curiously, given the violence of the killing, the clothes didn't have a trace of blood on them. Bing's lower body had been viciously slashed by a blunt object. So I thought that was weird because how do you slash something with like a blunt object? But mm -hmm. whatever. Um, because the damage that I'm about to describe would be super difficult to do with a blunt object. Mm -hmm. The gouges on her body were particularly notable around her genitals and perineum, which is the area between the anus and the genitals. So her teeth. Her gooch. Her gooch. She, her gooch was torn open? Yes. Oh, what would I? I don't know what I would do if my gooch was torn open. Yeah, there, bud. Oh, my Canadians coming out just here talking about my gooch. Stop it. You Her... don't think the listeners want to hear about my gooch? No, they don't. <laughs> her womb and ovaries were still attached, but they lay outside of her body. Ooh. And 12 feet of her intestines were missing. Agnes's gruesome death came at the end of a hard life that had already been filled with hardships. Sorry, her, her like, intestines were missing you said yes so <laughs> he's like i could use these as my, part of my disguise and then he wraps them around as a scarf you are the worst hey this happened in the 19 19th century 18. it's uh statute of limitations on making a scarf intestine jokes god is fine now as a german immigrant she was forced to work long hours at the bakery in order to care for her invalid husband and eight-year-old son she often returned home after dark, and neighbors reported that she had little time for friends. People were horrified by the crime. It wasn't a botched robbery or even a domestic murder. It was an act of incomprehensible depravity. At the time, the very concept of serial killing was still a foreign idea, and it had only been two years before the USA had executed H.H. H. Holmes, the Chicago mass murderer who was often cited as America's first serial killer. Ooh. Wait, uh, in reference to... Jack the Ripper. When did Jack the Ripper happen? Uh, just like a couple years before this. Mm. So is this like Canada copying him or what? Is that the idea? Is that he, why we're... Yeah, that's why it's like Canada's that's Jack the Ripper. But maybe it, it was Jack the Ripper. Oh, maybe. Maybe he came over from London. <laughs> yeah. was like, sup, I'm going to hang out in Vancouver yeah. Yeah. or Victoria. <laughs> Accounts at the time didn't even consider the possibility that Bings might have been a random victim murdered by a stranger for fun or sexual gratification. Their theory was that the murderer had attempted to rob Bings and, meeting with a stout resistance, became maddened and murdered and mutilated her. Give me your money or I'll tear open your gooch. Stop it. The crime soon came across the desk of the province's deputy Attor attorney general, H.A. McLean, who... <laughs> <laughs> I'm H.H. H. McLean. I'm going to solve this murder, say. No, he's the attorney general. Oh, I'm going to do whatever the hell those guys do. <laughs> Who immediately called in outside help, as apparently the Victorian police were pretty much incompetent at solving murders. So that's why we need H.H. McLean to solve the case. 
No, he calls in thus on October 11th, 1899, a Pinkerton agency detective. And I forgot to look up what that was, but uh, something, Pinkerton agency, uh, who is remembered by history only as agent number five, arrived in Victoria Mm, in order to find... Or is it really cool? I can't decide if that's less cool or really cool. Have you ever had that before where you're like, I don't know if I like that or if I hate that? Because (laughs) agent number five... It's like Mambo number five. Now I'm thinking less cool. But uh, <laughs> but I was thinking like he's so top secret that he's just agent number five. Like he doesn't talk or anything like that. He's like, just, he's not mute or anything. He's just very silent. Mm-hmm. He's just like serial uh, targets his prey. and ki- Wait, he's not killing people. <laughs> no, he's not. He's, okay. he's trying to find the killers. Right. Well, either way, still, I think I'm leaning more towards cool. Okay. I like agent number five. Okay. But I'd prefer H.H. H. McLean, eh, see? H.A. <laughs> McLean. Me, 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 me. Well, it, history has to be accurate. Shut up. At the time, agent number five took up the investigation. The most promising leads pursued by the local law enforcement were the words of a psychic who had apparently used her second sight to pin the crime on an indigenous person some 30 miles off the coast. The Victoria police quickly dispatched an officer to check it out. Agent number five was apparently at a loss for what to say, as he recorded in his notes that the officers would drop everything to put some faith into the supernatural revelation. So basically, he thought they were stupid. Hmm. A typical day of investigation for the Pinkerton detective could see him start the day meeting with the BC Premier in the newly finished Parliament building, and within hours be chasing down leads in smoke-filled downtown saloons or seedy back alleys. And suspects slowly began to emerge. There was a man named Coates, who had once made improper proposals to Bings in her bakery. There was Bill Hellborn, who, on the night of the murder, had walked into the city's Tivoli Theatre and had begun aggressively telling the manager about his idea for a play about a woman who was killed and cut to pieces. And there was Bob, an indigenous man who had reportedly threatened a woman on the Songhees Reserve that he would cut her up like he did that white woman. However, Agent Number 5 reserved his most scrutiny for Bings's brother, Jordan. Jordan was a heavy drinker, known for his violent temper. Most suspicious of all, even before Bings's body had been found, several witnesses reported that Jordan was already declaring that his sister had been murdered. In his notes, Agent Number 5 talks about the first time he spoke with Jordan, that Jordan recounted his experience of the morning when he learned that his sister was missing, and he started across the bridge to search for her. Jordan passed by the body without seeing it, which Agent Number 5 described as a thing which is difficult to understand, as the body was in plain sight. Jordan also fell under Agent Number 5's suspicion due to his behavior after his wife left him. According to Agent Number 5's notes, Jordan was married five years ago when the wife left. He then took up with her sister, and about two months prior to the murder, the sister, Mrs. Watt, came to the bakery, and Jordan and Mrs. Bings had some trouble about her. These are quotes. Mm. Mrs. Bings would not allow her in the bakery while Jordan wanted her there. So, finally, Mrs. Watt went away, and nothing is known of her present whereabouts. Mm. Further in his notes, agent number five interviewed a neighbor called Mr. Luce, who had... (laughs) Stop. I knew you were going to laugh at that. I'm Mr. Luce. (laughs) I'll sleep with anyone. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Boy, girl, sheep. Did you say sheep? Oh, I think you said sheep. (laughs) According to Mr. Luce, Jordan abused his wife, beat her, and threw her out of the house on several occasions until she finally left and he took up with the sister-in-law. Jordan also turned his father and mother out of the house and he kicked his mother. 
Mr. Luce explained that Jordan was only an adopted son and was no blood relation whatever of Mrs. Bing's and went on to further describe him as a man of violent temper given to uncontrollable fits of passion at which time he might do anything. Ever since the killing, Jordan had been loudly loudly proclaiming to anyone who listened that the murder was committed by members of the First Nations around Victoria, uh, except he used a different word to call them, and I will not. Ah. However, just like the British Jack the Ripper, the killer of Agnes Bings would never face justice. To this day, the murder is still unsolved. But there is an epilogue for Agnes that the victims of the Whitechapel murders never got. Investigators on the Bing's murder ultimately began to suspect that the true killer had been among them the whole time. David MacDonald Gordon, a 73-year-old drifter with deep connections to the city's underworld, had briefly been recruited as an auxiliary constable to help probe the killing. Not only did Gordon turn out to have a suspiciously intimate knowledge of the case, he would become strangely adamant without any evidence that the killer was a man named Jim McCluskey, (laughs) who had since left town and couldn't be found. Mm. In December, after Gordon found himself back in jail for a petty theft, Pinkerton Detective Agency dispatched a new detective, Agent Number 3, <gasps> to go undercover as a prisoner and befriend the suspected killer. This is some 007 shit, I swear. Yes. For days, Agent Number 3 endured Gordon's extremely vulgar stories about his past, his stints as a back-alley doctor for sex diseases, the endless young girls he boasted of ruining, his lewd stories of Victoria women receiving crude vasectomies, which he referred to as being disemboweled, and when agent number three made up a story of raping a young girl, Gordon hung on every word. Oh, damn. Also, I didn't know that women could get vasectomies, so I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I was, I was confused by that too. Yeah, so these are from the notes, so I like don't really know what that means uh, that they were writing at the time. Yeah, because I mean. Because it's tubes tied for y- y'all, right? That's right. We get our tubes tied. <laughs> so oh, maybe he was like... Not... Maybe he was removing their uteruses, which, like, I mean, he this happened to that lady. So, like, that or, makes or sense Or did that... he use the wrong term? Well, I don't know. Yeah. He might have meant tubes tied and be like, ah, vasectomies? Oh, yeah, girls can get those. Well, he called them as um, being disemboweled. He didn't say vasectomies. I thought you said he did. No, he called them being disemboweled. So this must mean, these are the notes that I have from the detective. Mm. So I'm guessing that the vasectomies means like actually like just being sterilized. Right. And that when this Gordon guy was talking about them, he he was like, yeah, I disemboweled those women. But he meant that like he had taken out their, I'm completely making this up. I have no idea what the answer is. The Pinkerton detective began to believe he was befriending an insatiable sex-crazed psychopath who likely had a trail of victims all throughout the young province. Quoted as saying, The more I talk with Gordon convinces me that he either committed the Bing's murder or has in some way been connected in some serious trouble before. I expect to hear of more than one case, in fact. I believe him to be a man of a demoralized brain. However, the Bing's murder only came up once between the two and by sheer coincidence. Another prisoner brought up the killing, along with his own theory that the culprit had likely bribed the police off his trail. All of a sudden, the normally loudmouth Gordon clammed up, other than to repeat his belief that a Jim McCluskey had done the deed. Well, I know it, Gordon explained. Some men have a mania that way and cannot help themselves. Then Gordon directly addressed Agent Number 3 with haunting sincerity, saying, If you ever kill a man, never let the blood of the man's head get on your clothes or even your hands, yeah, for, it will, for it will never come off as he examined his own hands, which is like some Lady Macbeth shit there. Yes. 
Uh, off thy spot. Off it, blood spot. You learn from me, and it is so cool. Right. <laughs> Stop it. Only three days later, Gordon was returning from the prison laundry when he began to vomit up blood from a pulmonary hemorrhage. Agent number three was able to rush to his side, and as Gordon violently choked up clots of blood, the detective heard him say, I want to tell you something. Gasping and clutching at the air with his hand, Gordon said, I am gone, before screaming his last words, Oh God! My mother! Oh God! (laughs) What? He died holding agent number three's hand. Did he? Okay, here's what I think happened. So as he's fading away, you know, when they, you, you, see, you know, you're supposed to see the light or whatever as you die, right? At the end of the light, he sees his mother, who he had a terrible relationship uh-huh. with. So he's like, I'd rather go to hell than <laughs> see my mother. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, he's, I guess, in heaven with her. Yeah. So Dakota, what do you think? Yes, I thought it was interesting. I think that, uh, I mean, (laughs) I think that uh, Canadians, um, oh, there's a lot of creative Canadians and stuff like that, but I don't feel like we're the most original country, you know, in the world. We're (laughs) kind of like, granted, I I don't know, this is tough. Uh, I think what I'm going to, what I'm trying to say is that I think that this guy just, couldn't come up with his own idea on how to kill people and stuff like that and he's just like oh jack the ripper copy that shit you know Mm -hmm. so who do you think did it uh ooh, ooh, maybe this is a um friday the 13th sort of situation okay friday the 13th like jason yes jason freaky friday for some reason yeah so this is it was Lindsay lohan okay (laughs) um so no it was that McGregor Gregor guy's McCluskey? mother, the guy oh, the guy that was yelling Gordon's. about his mom, Gordon, it was yeah. his mom. Because oh. in the first Friday the 13th, it wasn't Jason. Right. It was the mom of oh, Jason, okay. okay? Yeah. So that's my bet. I yeah. think it was the mom. But so who do you think really did it? Yeah, I'll change my answer then. Okay. <laughs> no, I like, your, I like your stories, but I want to know, like, actually what you think. Uh, I mean, it may, uh, the guy who yelled the mother thing, I think, makes the most sense. He was very, like, that was a guy that was into, like, the, the rape story, right? Yeah. They were really into that stuff. Like, I think that it's either he, he maybe did it. Ah, but at the same time, this is tough. No, I take it back. I think that that guy was just a sick motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was somebody who skipped town. Mm. Wait, did it happen much more? Or is this it? No. This was it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was just a killing on the road. Yeah. Be like. You know, not saying it was Jack the Ripper, but like somebody who just was like, you know, because back then, I don't think um, they had the maybe forensic <laughs> ability that we do now. No, they didn't. And you could probably just show up to a town and be like, I'm going to get this bitch and yeah. then leave. Yeah, you absolutely could. <laughs> you could just get away with it, you yes. know? Yes, You know, I'm yeah. uh, slitting gooches from uh, here to Tennessee, <laughs> you know? So, so you don't think it was Jordan, the brother? Oof. That's tough, too. I don't know. It could be. I mean, him walking the bridge and then not seeing her, even if she was plain, in plain sight. But you know what? I'll give him the benefit of the, de- of the you, doubt. Yeah, okay. Because I, I am you. terrible yeah. for missing stuff that's in plain sight, okay? Absolutely. So yeah. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think it was someone who skipped town. Some rando. Who do you it. think it was? Um. Oh. I, yeah, I think it's Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
um, just the things that he says while he's in jail are mm-hmm. kind of strange. And then that he performed vasectomies slash disembowelments on other women. Yeah. And was a creeper. Yeah. That's so, fair. Yeah. But I mean, that's just a hobby, you know? I guess. Yeah. Vasectomies for all. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't everybody... <laughs> isn't, isn't that... You know, like, I, I struggle with, like, you know, thinking of, like, new hobbies to do and stuff like that. And, like, diversifying my hobbies and stuff. And, I, you know, I've looked up lists and I can't believe that... <laughs> vasectomies performing them is not on the list of hobbies you know, want to do shocking. you know because like i'd be into that i'd be like yeah i'll just learn how to do a vasectomy yeah that you know what i will support you in that thank you you're welcome yeah so what's your rating yeah so it's it's good it's, it's not like it, you know it's on the eights or anything like that but it oh no no it's good it's good it's it's close it's close hmm. i just because like it wasn't uh, like top of the line no, i wasn't telling you, know? you about people eating people so no it, I'm over that, okay? <laughs> so, I think I will give this one a 7.8 okay. intestine scarfs out of 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that joke. I shouldn't like that joke. Yeah, I should well, not encourage Hang you. with me long enough, toots, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'll uh, be a real deprived motherfucker, too. It's true. You really yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, or tell your friends about us, because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. And if you want to stay in contact, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian or on Facebook at The Reluctant Historian Podcast. You can also leave us a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash thehistorian. Also, shoot us in an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the reluctant historian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. And I guess I should say, too, we might take a little of a break when we're trying to sell the house, but we'll post that on our socials. Yeah, we will. What? Oh, you're not going to do your one line? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot you did. You threw me off my rhythm. Okay, so here, here we go. I'm going to sing you a song, okay? You put your right gooch in, you put your right gooch out, you put your right gooch in, and you slid it all about. Oh my god. Why? Yeah. I'm sorry. You know how I am with jokes. I just latch onto something and I just keep on digging it into the ground. Digging it into the gooch. Digging it into the gooch. That's a perfect way to end it. Good night, everybody. Ha <laughs> ha.